Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Find the full archive of True Crime Garage plus exclusive bonus episodes with True Crime Garage off the record only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of listening, go to stitcherpremium.com slash truecrimegarage and use promo code GARAGE. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that, just like the great Donald Glover, he, too, has an alter ego, and it is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you, both both me and my alter ego. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking cult classic by Goose Island Brewhouse from the great city of Toronto, Canada, garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. This is a beautiful copper beer, easy drinking, German inspired lager with notes of bread, honey, and flowery hops in there as well. And today's beer was brought to us by all of our friends out there listening with a special thanks to David in Carrollton, Texas. And a big shout out to Cinda in Springfield, Missouri. And a big We Like Your Jib goes out to Afton down in Tallahassee, Florida. We like your jib. And a big shout out to Alexis in Calgary. And we say thanks to Adam and Crystal from Richmond, Virginia. And last but not least, Jessica and Rural Retreat of Virginia. So thanks to everybody for helping us out this week. If you want to help us out with next week's beer run, you can jump in the truck with us or go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And while you're there, make sure you check out our blog page if you want to join in any of the conversations about these cases or if you have any questions, leave them there. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. we have come to learn so far in our investigation that I'm willing to confirm with you today is that Honey and Barry Sherman were last seen alive in the evening hours of Wednesday, December the 13th, 2017. Neither of the two had communicated with friends, family, or associates from that time frame until their discovery on Friday, December the 15th. There are no signs of forced entry on all access points to the home. Honey and Barry Sherman were found deceased in the lower level pool area, hanging by belts from a poolside railing in a semi-seated position on the pool deck. They were wearing their clothing. We believe now, through the six weeks of work review, we have sufficient evidence to describe this as a double homicide investigation, and that both Honey and Barry Sherman were in fact targeted. 
We are in the process of attaining or have executed 20 judicial authorizations and searches. Legal complexities in some executions have been challenging given the litigious nature of Barry Sherman's businesses, in particular the search and seizure of electronics in Barry Sherman's workspace at Apotex. Two residential properties belonging to the Shermans have been searched. The primary Sherman residence is a three-story family dwelling of a size warranting six weeks of searching, forensic review, and seizing of evidence. This morning, we return the residence to the family. To date, close to 150 bulk or packaged items have been seized and are currently being reviewed and forensically analyzed. A total of 127 witness statements have been compiled. And this number continues to grow each day. Neighborhood canvases have occurred in the area surrounding the Sherman residence. These, this has included the collection of approximately four terabytes of security video from both commercial and residential properties. We hope that through today's uh, release that we'll garner a few more or a significant amount of witnesses. Uh, we have the 348 investigative actions to follow up on. We have all of our seized evidence that we have yet to review uh, or certainly continue the submissions through the Centre of Forensic Sciences, uh, confirm with our expert partners in the field. I mean, it's, it's endless. Barry Sherman was one of the wealthiest men in the world before his death in 2017. Barry was born Bernard Charles Sherman in 1942, but to tell you the complete story of Barry's life and death, we need to go back in time and first talk about Barry's uncle, Louis Lloyd Winter, who was born in Toronto in 1924. He studied biochemistry at the University of Toronto, and after graduating with a master's degree, he borrowed $10,000 from his father to open his first company in the family's garage. There, he would process blood work and pregnancy tests for local medical offices, and his business skyrocketed quickly. Now, Lewis also saw a need. He knew that the prescription drugs, well, they were way too expensive. And many people could not afford them at the time. Mm -hmm. So Winter started a generic pharmaceuticals company. By 1959, he had to purchase a whole building for his operations and created what was then called the Empire Laboratories Limited. By 1964, it was Canada's largest pharmaceutical company. Winter's life was cut short at the young age of 41 when he had a sudden aneurysm. Now, 17 days later, his wife died of leukemia. The company was taken over by their nephew, who is Barry Sherman. Barry Sherman lost his father when he was just nine years old, and he grew up working for his uncle's drug company. Mm -hmm. After graduating from the University of Toronto and getting a PhD in astronautics at MIT, he was able to take charge of Empire. And in January of 1972, Sherman and Ulster Limited sold Empire Laboratories. In 1973, Sherman started Opatex. This was with, with a few of the former Empire Laboratories personnel, and he had incorporated it in 1974. Now, this was a privately owned and Sherman-controlled company, mm -hmm. and at one point claims to be Canada's largest Canadian-owned pharmaceutical manufacturer. Now, Sherman married his wife, Honey, in 1971, she was a fellow University of Toronto graduate born in 1948 in Austria to Polish Holocaust survivors. They had four children, a son, Jonathan, and three daughters. This is Lauren, Alexandra, and Kaylin. By 2016, Opatex employed over 10,000 people as one of Canada's largest pharmaceutical manufacturers with over 260 products selling in over 115 countries. Now its charitable arm, the Opatex Foundation has donated over $17 million in free medications. Sherman himself has donated over $50 million as well to other philanthropic causes in the Toronto area and beyond. Opatex has seen a fair number of litigation issues as companies have pushed back on its efforts to sell cheaper no-name options. Mm -hmm. 
One of the most high profile of these clashes occurred when pharma giant Bristol Myers Squibb sued Opitex in 2006 to try and stop it from selling the first generic form of the heart disease treatment Plavix. Yeah, but these lawsuits would happen for a multitude of different reasons. But one of the main reasons was that when you created a drug, there was a window where you weren't allowed to manufacture a generic version of that drug, but mm-hmm. Sherman didn't like to wait. So if if the generic wasn't supposed to be made available till next year, he'll start making it this year. And if you want to sue him, go ahead and sue him. That way, so once, once the patent has lifted, he's ready to go to market with this product immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, and he would also face legal action from family members over the years who alleged that they had been cut out of the company uh, that he now owned. Now, on Friday, December 15th, 2017, emergency crews were called to the home at 50 Old Colony Road in the Bayview Avenue and Highway 401 area. This is around 1145 a.m. EMTs responded to a medical emergency. That's where Toronto police say that a male and a female were found and pronounced dead on the scene. The deaths were deemed suspicious, but on that day, police did not confirm the victim's identities nor where in the home they were found. They would also not say if there were any signs of trauma to the bodies. Speaking to reporters, detective Brandon price said the deaths are suspicious are not yet being treated as homicides. That's because Price said investigators are still trying to determine if there is foul play involved or not. And at this point, they cannot say 100% with any certainty if there is or was not. They also said that we're going to know a lot more tomorrow, adding that the results from the postmortem examinations have yet to be received. Mm -hmm. Also, they would not say who found the bodies, but the CBC Toronto confirmed with a police source that they were found by a non-family member. That night, police would state that they're not looking for a suspect and there was no sign of force entry into the family's home. The following day, on December 16th, the Canadian pharmaceutical giant Opitex confirmed that its founder, Barry Sherman, and his wife, Honey Sherman, were dead. And they stated, All of us at Opitex are deeply shocked and saddened by this news. And our thoughts and prayers are with the family at this time. A neighborhood resident, this is Sarah Alvey. She lived across the street from the Shermans and she said that she was shocked at the sight of police activity in what she described as a lovely and quiet neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She said, we've never seen something like this on this street, especially with these people. Everybody knows who they are. It was really surprising. It was heartbreaking. Now, Alvy said that when she heard that the Shermans were selling their home, she had gone for fun just to check it out. At the time, she said she spoke with Honey Sherman, who she knew quite a bit better than Barry. She said that everything looked normal when she looked, went to look at the house. The kids' rooms were gorgeous. It was, quote, picture perfect. And then we have this article that comes out, Captain. This is by Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun, with the headline, Murder-Suicide Suspected in the Deaths of Toronto Billionaire and Wife. Yeah. And the article reads, Barry Sherman, a billionaire businessman and philanthropist, was found dead alongside his wife, Honey, in their Toronto mansion Friday morning. Sources say police were working on the theory the demise of the billionaire and his wife, which has stunned the city and those who knew them, may have been a murder-suicide. This was the theory that the Toronto police service was reportedly going with sources close to the case. Believe honey may have been killed in a secondary location in the $6.9 million old colony road house, and then moved to the location where she was later found with her deceased husband. Forensics needs to be done, but at this stage, it appears there was no forced entry and no evidence of anybody else in the house, a police source said. Emergency responders found the pair hanging from a railing that surrounds a lap pool inside the house. Inspector Brian Bott, who heads up the homicide unit, would not confirm or comment on the details of the case, but he did tell the Toronto Sun, at this time we are not searching for any suspects. 
Bott said homicide detectives will conduct a full investigation and all avenues will be explored. That said, police did not immediately find a suicide note and a search of the massive house, which included reviewing the home's video surveillance system was just beginning. Now we know the system now today, captain, we know that the system was ADT uh, because ADT techs were seen at the crime scene working with the Toronto police service. Yeah. What we don't know is whether the cameras that were inside the home and outside the home, if they were turned on because we have Barry who was notoriously known to not use the system. Hmm. We're going to pay for the security system, but we're not going to use that thing. Well, and later we would learn that, in fact, there was a camera in the actual pool area where the bodies were found. So law enforcement's going with this idea that this is um, a murder-suicide, and the family is going to come out and say, hey, this that's impossible. So they get another investigative team involved. Well, not only are they not going to be quiet about this, but they're not going to be slow about getting their thoughts and opinions to the media either, because very quickly they released a statement and the statement says our parents shared an enthusiasm for life and a commitment to their family and community, totally inconsistent with the rumors regrettably circulated in the media as to the circumstances surrounding their deaths. Right. We, the family, the Sherman family are shocked and think it's irresponsible that police sources have reportedly advised the media of a theory which neither their family nor their friends or colleagues believe to be true. The family comes right out and makes a public statement that they aren't buying the murder-suicide theory. They go on to say that they urge the Toronto Police Service to conduct a thorough, intensive, and objective criminal investigation and urge the media to refrain from further reporting as to the cause of these tragic deaths until the investigation is complete. Now we have friends backing up the family. So the Sherman family, these are adult children of the, of the dead, obviously uh, disagreeing with the early assertion that the police believe that the father killed their mother and then staged the scene and took his own life. Right. And as we heard the friends uh, there, you know, there's plenty of friends coming out and saying, this is impossible. This whole idea is impossible. It doesn't make any sense to us. So we have the, the children saying not likely, and then the friends backing them as well. So the family, they hired a lawyer. This is Brian Greenspan to help their own investigation into the tragedy. The attorney Greenspan, he hires a private investigative firm led by a well-respected retired Toronto police homicide detective who touts discretion and definitive final conclusions for his clients. The company is Clatt Investigations, which is led by Tom Clatt, who spent 14 years in homicide, drug, and intelligence bureaus with the Toronto Police Service before his retirement in 1998. Now, he went on to co-found a different private investigative firm before launching his own outfit in 2015. He has investigated more than 70 murder investigations, bringing a successful conclusion to as many or more than any homicide investigator in Canada, this according to his online biography. <laughs> Clatt's clients... This according to himself. Well... I, I don't want to receive any pushback from people going, well, that's not true. I'm, I'm basing this off of right, what right. he has told us. And keep in mind, it, it could be accurate information that he's putting out there, but it's also, right, right, right. It's also a sales point. You know, he's, right. he needs, he's in the business of getting clients. So his clients have included high-profile groups, many of Canada's wealthiest families who were in the process of dealing with life-altering family issues. It has been reported that the family conducted their own forensic autopsy on the bodies of the Shermans before their burial as well. So we're seeing the family, one, they have the means to do so. A lot of the cases that we cover on here, Captain, we're not dealing with this level of wealth. And, and I want to be yeah. clear what we're talking about here. We're not talking about rich people. We're not talking about somebody that lives in the big house in a, in a nice neighborhood. We're talking about somebody that might live in the biggest house in the nicest neighborhood. 
These are these are not rich people. These are wealthy people. Yeah, I think they're selling their house for like five point four million dollars or something like that, and then they were building a new house, which I believe was like sixteen thousand square foot or something like that. Yeah, I mean these these are just huge homes. So yeah. what we're seeing here is when I mean, you have a pool and a hot tub in your basement. That's what kind of house we're dealing with. Yeah. But we're also talking about a family that has the means to go to this level of investing. When when they've decided that, you know what, what the initial investigation is showing, we're not cool with that. Right. Well, we got the dollars to put together our own team. And these are no slouches. And, and look, I understand their concern. And I also, I agree with the idea that there should be an investigation. But I also think the idea that people come out and go, this is impossible. It's like, there's a lot of people that commit suicide that people didn't see that coming or somebody committed a, a murder and they didn't see that coming either. Right. And I agree with that. And I don't know that that's the, uh, I don't know that that's this, the scenario here. I think the scenario here that they're unhappy with is that the police have not outwardly said at no point are they on camera going, you know what, this is a murder suicide and we're got to dig down deep and figure out exactly what happened. Right. What has happened here is the police are saying these deaths are suspicious we have no, we're not looking for any suspects. There's mm-hmm. no forced entry to the home. That's what they're saying on camera. Now, according to the media, now we, we're going to take this with a grain of salt here. According to the media reporting on the case, they're stating that police sources are telling them this is a murder suicide and this is how we're looking at this. So from the outside looking in from the family members perspectives, they're feeling that, Hey, it's irresponsible of the police to leak this information before they've completed their investigation. Right. And it's also irresponsible of the media to drag our good parents' names through the mud until this investigation has been completed as well. And they just, I think what they're worried about is that they're seeing things that they don't like from the get go. And they want to see, you don't want this train to get too far off the tracks before you try to reel it back in. Right. So, and the thing here is they have to, they have to move quickly because if they're going to have a second autopsy performed on the bodies, well, you know, the, the Shermans were, were Jewish and Jewish tradition requires like most religions requires that the bodies be buried within a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, and that did happen. Funeral services were held for the Shermans on December 21st. Uh, this was in a Toronto suburb and attended by several thousands of people and to, to, to give everybody an idea of the level that Barry and his wife, honey Sherman were on the prime minister attended this service as well as the mayor, Justin Trudeau. Yes. As well as the mayor Mm -hmm. and the, uh, the Ontario premier. So we're talking about some of the highest political figures attending this service for these good people. And the Shermans were donating to their campaigns and things like that. So obviously that's why they showed up. Now, I do want to be clear, though, uh, that it should be noted that the Toronto police still had control of the crime scene. This being the Shermans home where the bodies were found. But the private experts at this time, they were conducting a secondary investigation and they would not be able to conduct an investigation inside the home until after the police were finished. So we don't have the family here trying to interfere. I don't see the family interfering with the investigation. I see them bringing in their own team and maybe aiding the investigation and conducting their own. Once the police say that they are done. The problem with the police being done is this is a giant home. Yeah. And like you, when you hear the trailer, she said, "Uh, it took us about six weeks Mm -hmm. to, do all the forensics that we needed to do in this property because of how big it was. Well, and with new investigators, well, there's going to come new theories. So these new investigators are not going to go into the scene and say, Hey, we think we're dealing with a murder suicide. Mm -hmm. They're going to work under the assumption that there are three main scenarios for these private investigators to consider one possible double suicide Mm -hmm. or a double homicide or a a murder suicide. Now, captain, do you, do you find it strange, you know, while we're on the topic 
that the police are hinting toward murder-suicide so very quickly after finding the bodies, especially now that we know that no note was found or no message was sent to someone to indicate uh, yeah. that's what, what had happened. I, I don't even know what the percentage is of uh, suicides are left with a note, but I would I, I would assume that a murder-suicide, there'd be less notes because right. you would be c- committing the suicide probably based off the fact that you, you know, you had just murdered a loved one and you can't, well, can you even call them a loved one at that point? But you just murdered this person that you're close with and now you're killing yourself probably because you murdered that person and you don't want to deal with those consequences. I don't find it strange or odd that they quickly were hinting toward murder-suicide scenario. And I, and I say that because... You know, there's been so many times throughout my life that I hear, oh, there's there was a shooting in Northeast Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, suspected two people dead. And that's that's like the first information you hear. And then within an hour or two, you're hearing likely murder, suicide, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it usually can quickly. What I'm getting at is it seems to me in most scenarios when police arrive and that ends up being the actual result after an investigation has taken place and they've ruled that it was in fact a murder suicide. It seems to me that it's very often that very obvious signs of that when police arrive on the scene. What I find strange here is not so much that they might've suspected that to begin with. I find it strange. One, what was at the scene that was the indicator for police that that was the route to look at? Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm not hearing anything in the initial reports that point toward that for me. But then, furthermore, it's the other thing too is usually when that's the initial thought, that ends up being the result. Right. And I don't think that that's what we're going to end up with here. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. 
Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Captain. Now, we haven't really got into what is known about this case, the facts and the details surrounding the Sherman couple's death. But, you know, and I apologize that we haven't got to it yet. There was some information we needed to get out, but there's also kind of a little bit of doing that on purpose because with this case, and you and I were talking about this the other day, you know, for this garage investigation, there was a lot of rumors and speculation that were coming out before any real information was coming out. Yeah. And what information came out early in this investigation, the first two or three weeks or so, well, it was just a lot of speculation that was regurgitated from one newspaper article to magazine, to internet, to so on and so forth. And you never really got any sense of what possibly could have happened to these two people. So after some, so much digging, we're able to piece together a chain of events here in this case. So let's get right into the thick of it. Let's go through that chain of events 
of the facts and what is known about the case. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind when we're going through this, when we are examining these couple of days, the Sherman's daily lives, they're probably vastly different from most of ours. These are very successful, wealthy people who are probably, they have a lot of business obligations. They're probably busier than most of us. What are you trying to say? I got some business. Well, the other thing though, too, that I want everybody to keep in mind when we go through this is there are two major events going on simultaneously during this time in their lives. One, their home is for sale and actively being shown to potential buyers. And two, the Shermans are designing and building a new home to move into eventually. Right. Okay. So first on December 12th, 2017, this is the day before the couple was last seen alive. Honey missed a scheduled meeting at the Baycrest Center Foundation where here's what I've learned from this. Okay. Okay. They have stated that had it been any other board member for this Baycrest Center Foundation, Mm -hmm. no one would have really paid much attention to this. Um, But with Honey, they kind of dubbed her the beloved queen bee of this of this group. Right. And so they found it strange that she did not attend. And the other thing that they found strange and, and actually the um, foundation's president, Josh Cooper has outwardly said it was quote bizarre mm. that she was not there. Now they were a little concerned that she didn't show up. So they sent her an email to make sure that she was okay And she did respond back fairly quickly. And her response was short and simple. It just said, sorry, uh, she was dealing with some stuff and unable to attend. Right. And when you're selling a house, they might, you know, had a showing that she had to get the house ready for, or it could have been some last minute meeting because they didn't break ground on their new construction yet. Right. I don't believe so. This was still very much, I'm a little confused and I got to be outwardly honest with you on this because we're not talking about time. You're honest. We're not talking about the shotgun house that I live in. This is, you know, this is a a project. This is going to take a team of people to design this thing. And as a lot of people out there know, when you're building something big like this, their new home, Mm -hmm. you run into obstacles and things need to be changed. And, you know, people change their minds and opinions on things of how they want things done through that process as well. Well, and it could be as simple as the an architect or, or an engineer contacting them and saying, hey, we need these decisions made today. And if not, this is going to hold up the process even more. So it could be something as simple as that. And maybe she didn't want to dive into the details. Well, and we can read as much or as little into it as we want, but it should be thrown out there that the day before she missed a meeting that she would otherwise not typically miss to the point where the president of the foundation said it was bizarre that mm-hmm. she was not there. And then her response seems vague and given the outcome, right, right. very ominous. So now... On the day, the day that they were last seen, the Shermans met with the architects at on Wednesday afternoon. This is December 13th at the, this is at Sherman's work at Barry Sherman's work. Mm-hmm. Apparently honey left the business after the meeting. And this was sometime roughly before 5 PM. Now it's assumed that she went directly home from that time. And we say that because there are no more reported sightings of her that day. Right now, no one is go ahead. I was going to say that. So she goes to the meeting. This is at her husband's place of work. Correct. And they're going to meet with the architects. Yes. Of the, of the new build their new home. Now she drives. I don't know if you found this odd, but I just thought this was a little strange. Kind of like, you know, put a little pin in my, um, my notes. She drives a champagne color Lexus a newer Lexus like SUV mm-hmm. and he drives a 1999 Mustang. Mm-hmm. Just found that a little strange. Well, that's kind of one famous thing about Barry Sherman. And, and I don't know if it's, if it's myth or if it's true, but, right. but everything you just said would point to it being true. There is a thought that as, as extremely wealthy as Barry Sherman was, yeah. Um, he, 
in his adult life, it's rumored he only owned four cars. And meaning that he owned a car, would drive it until it could not drive anymore, and then he would go get another car and repeat this process yeah. throughout the course of his life. Which I, I just thought it was a little strange because, well, maybe not even strange, but to me, you're, you're building a 16,000-square-foot home. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a statement, you know. People come to your house, they see a house that big, you have no problem letting people know you have some money, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're driving a 1999 Mustang. That's the opposite of that. You know, that's the, well, this car still works, so I'm going to still drive it. So I think you have two different personalities, and we should probably get into this, just touch upon it before we go through this timeline. Okay. Here. But um, I think you have two different personalities. Just because Barry Sherman is extremely wealthy and he's made his, a lot of you know, he was born into success in a sense that his uncle was successful with that company. Right. But he's also taken that, what he was born into, and and done very well for himself through probably a lot of hard work and determination. So Right, right. He was lucky enough to get the opportunity, but most people wouldn't work, have worked as hard as Barry did to make it even a bigger company. And when you look back on Barry's life and the way that he was set up and the way that he carried himself, it was almost like a can't fail situation really to me. When, when you, mm-hmm. when you, when you have somebody that steps into that role that is given a certain leg up on everything, but also is extremely intelligent. I mean, the guy graduated, I think he, he either attended or graduated college at 16. So we're not talking about a dummy here. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very smart guy. He goes on to get a doctorate from MIT. So this is a brilliant yeah. dude and a hardworking dude. It was almost like I said, when you look back on it, you're like, well, this is a, a, a recipe for success. This is a can't, can't fail situation. Mm-hmm. But just because he was very wealthy and successful, I don't know that he, that he cared what a lot of that wealth could afford him. Right. So there were several of his friends that were were quoted as saying things like Barry didn't care about things. He didn't care about objects. He didn't care about cars. Um, yeah. You know, several people had reported that Barry would would often be seen working long hours at his company wearing wrinkled shirts and, you know, a pair of pants that looked like he had owned them for 15, 20 years. Nothing you know, wrong with that. Right. So that 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 gives you a, a sense of of kind of that who makes he the is. car make more sense, but there's also individuals that just get um attached to vehicles too and they can't let them go. Well, and he's also on record and I I believe this was a newspaper or magazine article where he had done an interview before he was before his death where he said something to the effect of he thought that they would live in their current home for the rest of their lives. I mean, now mind you, Barry's 75 at the time of his death and his wife, I believe was 70. So we're talking about an older couple, but this, we're also talking about an extremely nice home. And he had said he had thought that they would live in that home for the rest of their lives. However, honey told him it was time to get a new house. So I guess we're moving was was that's not verbatim but that quote is pretty close there okay so back to the timeline let's we're talking about the day that it is believed that they were last seen right Mm -hmm. we have this meeting where the two of them attend this meeting at barry's work the meeting with the architects who are who are designing their new home this meeting is over sometime in the evening early afternoon um and we have honey who leaves Barry's work around 5 p.m. Again, it's assumed that she went straight home. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as Barry goes, no one is certain about what time he left the building, what time he left the business to go home. Now, there are a couple reports out there that state that this could have been as early as 6.30 p.m., but most reports have stated that he stayed there as late as 8.45 p.m. And I actually think that this might be more accurate than the earlier time of 6.30 Mm-hmm. The reason being is I've seen it reported that he would often, this would be 845 would be a little more consistent with the hours that he typically put in. And while we don't know that this time for sure, the police probably have a much better idea on this time because of a couple of things. 
What we do know is that Barry spent most of that evening responding to emails at work that day. Mm-hmm. All right. Before leaving. And it's believed that the last known email sent from his Opatex ca- account was at 8.30 p.m. that night. Now, I couldn't find it reported as to what the emails were regarding or if they were responded to, but it's believed that that he sent this last email at 8.30 and then just like his wife, likely went straight home that night. Now, Barry Sherman did not show up to work on Thursday, which for some reason didn't immediately raise any alarm bells. Yeah. Now, on Friday morning at 8.30 a.m., a housekeeper and another person who watered the plants both arrived at the house at 8.30. These were both regular visits. Each week on Friday morning, this two people, these two people would enter the home. So both the housekeeper and the plant water, they busied themselves on the main level and the second floor for approximately the next two hours. And they saw nobody. Correct. Now, keep in mind, both floors are roughly, um, according to this report, both floors are roughly 3,600 square feet, and they have multiple rooms. Now, neither the housekeeper or the person watering the plants descended to the lower level. Now, the lower level includes a garage, a recreation area, and a swimming pool. At 10.30 a.m., two real estate agents and a couple that was interested in purchasing purchasing the house arrived. The house was listed for sale by agent Judy Gottlieb. Now, Barry Sherman and his wife, honey, were selling their home. Uh, the reports are kind of all over the place, captain, but the one that seems the most accurate was it was being listed for $6.9 million. Oh, I was off. Yeah. That's that's some good coin right there. I was off by a little bit. It it was listed with uh, Forest Hill Real Estate Incorporated, and Judy Gottlieb, the listing agent, was she's reported to be a close friend to the Shermans. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's what's reported. Now, Gottlieb was away in Florida, so another agent was taking her place that day. The other agent uh, present represented the prospective purchasers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... We have, we have two agents, just to clear this up, we have two people that are looking at the home. They're mm-hmm. interested in buying it. A couple. Wealthy couple. No. Okay, and we, their agent is going to be escorting them on this visit. Also on this visit will be this Judy Gottlieb. It's going to be her assistant because, remember, Judy Gottlieb is gone. Right. So we have two agents and we have this couple that are going to be walking the property, walking the house, checking everything out. Meanwhile, we have the housekeeper and the person watering the plants who have been busy on two different floors, but not gone to the lower level. So after touring the upper floor, the agents and the clients went downstairs and walked along a corridor leading to the pool area. Gottlieb's assistant went first. She walked through the doorway to the pool room and then she comes running out of there. At the other end of the room, she saw two bodies backs to the pool held in a sitting position by something tied around their necks. She turned and, and ushered the other agent and the clients back, making an excuse saying this part of the home is off limits at the moment. Now, (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but basically her real estate instincts kicks in and she sees two bodies and still is trying to comfort the, the buyers because she's still trying to make the sale. Well, I don't, I, I think she's Seems being very, way. I think she's been thrown into a situation that no one could expect to right, be. Right. And she's handled it extremely professionally. This discovery was made shortly after 11 AM on Friday. So Gottlieb's assistant called up to the housekeeper, telling her what she had seen, then made a phone call seeking direction on what to do. Now, it's not been made public who she called at this time, but she did call someone. Meanwhile, the housekeeper called 911. The Toronto Police 911 system records the call coming in at 11.43 a.m. Police were en route by 11.44. Toronto EMS told the Star, that's one of their local newspapers, 
They dispatched two paramedic crews and a supervisor at that same time. Now, let's go through some of the other findings and some of the other things we know regarding this discovery. The couple's grown children, this is, you know, this is adding, you know, what's already bad, making it even worse. But uh, apparently they heard about the death of their parents through the media and through social media rather than the police or somebody coming to tell them what was happened. So, well, but see, here's the other issue here too, is we haven't really, I mean, I think people are assuming this, but you know, Barry and honey were so wealthy that they were almost celebrity status. Right. And so that's one of the problems with them, uh, hearing it through the media. Yeah. And, and like you said, captain, these are people that are so wealthy. You would, it wouldn't be uncommon to see them in the news or to read about them in the newspaper or, or, or them being interviewed for a magazine article. Mm. You know, these were people that their faces and names were very well known. So I, one thing I want to dive into here briefly is the time of death because we have, we have a couple that is last seen sometime Wednesday evening and they're not found until Friday morning. There are some outlets reporting that the Shermans died on Thursday. And personally, I believe this is mostly speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is just early reports coming out that were wrong of people jumping to conclusions, but uh, the consensus is that the Shermans were last seen on Wednesday evening, like we said. Um, and it is unclear whether they were killed soon after that. But I think Wednesday is the likely time that they were killed. And I only say that because Honey Sherman was found wearing the clothing that she had been seen wearing on Wednesday. Right, which would make the most sense. My issue is not so much that the children hear about the deaths through the media. It's the fact that Barry doesn't show up to work on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Honey doesn't show up anywhere. And there's nobody at their offices calling their kids or, or calling anybody, it seems like, to figure out why they're not at work. I don't know that their children would have been called. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that uh, either Honey or Barry were that they were called right um, with them being so busy and let's just say powerful because they're right, powerful right, individuals. Right. Um, you, I guess you wouldn't challenge that a whole lot. You know, if you're, if you're a secretary or an assistant or somebody that works for Barry or even for honey, for that fact, I um, still think you would, but that's, that's just me. I, to me, it, it, that's kind of a gray spot here on why did we not, why wasn't there people reaching out to other people or maybe there were, and it just got to the end of the day and none of the dots got connected. But to me, it seems a little odd that especially Barry, such a workaholic doesn't go into work. Yeah. Sees him. There's, you know, there's no call. There's no checkup on him. We should add though. I should just to clarify. It seems to me like Barry was in his twilight years. Let's say. Okay, even though he's he's reportedly staying at work long hours, that's probably a habit he he hadn't broke. Um, but he right. was not the active CEO of his company at that time. Right. He had he had moved on and had somebody else taking that position. It sounds to me like Barry was was more just kind of going in there and checking on things and keeping an eye on okay, things. Okay, so maybe he came and went as he pleased. Yeah, but. I don't I don't know that he actually held any real responsibility or any real duty while he was there if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um family sources say that the last known cell phone communication and I don't know if this is text or audio, uh but the family sources say that this came from the Sherman couple was on Wednesday at some point during the day. As we had said earlier, Captain, no signs of forced entry into the home and no suicide note found on the scene. There was also no damage reported to the inside of the home. And I found one report that states that there was nothing to suggest that this could be a home invasion. And I want to be clear on what that means. I, I think the way that this, the way that this report reads, what they are referring to is where somebody breaks in either in the middle of the night to the Mm -hmm. home or kicks in the door and busts their way in and takes over the scene. There was nothing to point to any of that. 
The autopsies were conducted on Saturday and Sunday, and this indicated that the Shermans died of ligature neck compression. Sources say investigators found the Shermans side-by-side in their windowless pool room, each with a man's leather belt wrapped around their necks and tied to the pool railing. Both had on jackets that were pulled, quote, behind their backs and rolled down over their arms. Their winter coats were on their bodies, but pushed down on their backs and arms, if that makes any sense. It is believed that the camera in the pool area had been disconnected. Toxicology tests on the bodies reveal no sign of drugs that would have contributed to their deaths. Now, while earlier media reports suggest that they died by hanging, that is incorrect. They were found in a seated position at the side of a pool in the lower level of the house with their legs facing away from the pool. The belts were around their necks with the end of the belt through the buckle and pulled tight. The free end of each belt was then looped or tied around a low railing that surrounds the pool. Sources say a working theory of the private team probing the deaths is that the Shermans were strangled by the belts. Then the belts were attached to the railing, holding them in a seated position. The ligature neck compression was likely done by the leather belts found at the scene. Right. Now, one thing that's interesting here is my first thought goes to, are these Barry's belts? Right. Because they very specifically say men's belts mm-hmm. in these reports. Or were these belts brought in by the killer? Mm-hmm. And it took some digging. I did find one article that states that that kind of points to one belt being Barry's, but doesn't clarify who the other belt belonged to. Or if they knew for sure. Yeah, and my thought on that, Captain, is that maybe Barry is found not wearing a belt you know, around his, the, you know, on his pants. Mm-hmm. So therefore it's easy to assume that that man's belt was Barry's, the one that he was wearing. The other one might be called into question because, you know, it, it might be one that was taken from the closet and whether or not this man bought a lot of clothes, we don't know. Mm-hmm. However, I'm assuming from people that I worked with and have worked for in the past this guy's got more than two belts in the house. Probably. But interesting that they believe that they were strangled and then moved. And then the belts were tied in such a way to almost keep them upright. Yeah. So they are, they're hanging, but they're not, they're not hanging in a sense that one would, I mean, mm-hmm. this railing's going to be, I've never been in the room. I'm guessing it's going to be about three, three and a half foot high, mm-hmm. maybe a little taller than that. So they are almost like they are sitting down, but slightly off the ground because the belt has connected their neck to the railing, holding them from being fully seated on the floor. Mm-hmm. A key finding, uh, was during the discovery process of the second autopsy. And this were Mark's, on both Barry and Honey Sherman's wrist. This indicating that each person's wrists were bound together at some point, likely with rope or a plastic strap. An examination of the markings does not clearly determine if the hands were bound in front or behind their backs. Right. You think maybe zip ties or something. Yeah. Now their hands were not bound when the bodies were discovered. Police also searched the roof of the house and use metal detectors on the property. Here's one thing I want to get at, Captain, because this this hands being bound either in front or behind their backs is not a 100% certainty. Mm-hmm. It was a finding in one of the autopsies. I believe it's probably likely that this went down, but the whole winter coat thing is then very weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I know it's Toronto, it's December, so it's obviously very cold, um, we know that the Shermans drove home separately. I, I think that they may have parked their cars outside of the house. And I say that because there are some crime scene photos that show Honey's Lexus parked in the driveway and not the garage. Right. So first off, they have this fancy garage that's underneath their home. 
why are they parking outside? That's super weird. And well, they might have been stopped outside. And then as for the coats, were they still wearing their coats when they were attacked? Were they attacked outside, brought into the house? They're wearing their coats, obviously at separate times if they arrived at separate times. Mm-hmm. But so they're still wearing their coats when they're attacked is is my thought. But the way that the coat thing is described is almost like the coat is put on you to to constrict your arms as well. Like your arms are not in the arms of the jacket. It reads as if the coat is wrapped around your body and arms and then zipped up or pushed down so that it would restrict movement of your arms and hands. Right, which makes me feel like maybe the jackets were put on after, you know, by the perpetrator. And again, they think that there's some kind of strangulation beforehand, but you have two individuals that, they're up in the air. Mm-hmm. So what's making you think that they weren't being in, you know, being strangled in that position. Right. And so was it like, Oh, we bound their hands. Now we take those off and now we're going to put their jackets on after the death. And we should be clear about that because I don't know if it was clear the way that I described it, but it would be that if this is in fact true, that their hands were tied or bound, that these bindings were removed from the scene. They were not found on, on the bodies, on the Shermans when they were discovered. Right. So meaning, meaning Barry Sherman could not have killed his wife, then killed himself and then disposed of these bindings all at the same time. It, it just doesn't work out. Um, also, if well, he, and, well, the jacket part doesn't work out because you'd have to put the jacket back on himself. Right. And, well, and that, in addition, right. the jacket part doesn't work out. Right. Because what's he going to do? Hang himself and then pull his jacket down past his arms somehow? Well, I want to be clear. The reason why a lot there was a lot of speculation about that at first was there was some bruising uh, on Honey's face. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were like, well, there was no bruising on Barry's face, so therefore murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you got you get these bindings, you got this the jackets. Um. I think they were probably just met outside before they even got into the garage, you know, and Barry probably stopped because he saw, you know, honey's car there. So you, if you base it off of the timeline, you say where Barry's not leaving until eight thirty, eight forty-five. Well, you know, that means that these attackers had honey for a lot longer, a couple, yeah. couple hours before Barry would get home. If, if that scenario, in fact, is true, it would have to go down something like this. Barry arrives home. I'm sorry. Honey arrives home before Barry. Mm-hmm. Something prevents her from go- parking the car in the garage, or she's intending on just running into the house and leaving very quickly. But something happens to where she is attacked. This would also explain the no signs of forced entry. If she was attacked outside and nobody witnessed this, They could use her keys to gain entry to the home. Mm -hmm. Then they pull her into the home. They take control of the scene. And I say they, because it could be one person could be two could be three. They take control of the scene. They have control of honey. Now I don't know if she killed at that time or not while they wait for Barry to arrive. Barry would pull in seeing his wife's car in the driveway. Wonder what's up. Maybe he decides to park in the driveway as well to see what's going on. Right. He goes to the front door. He goes inside. And when he gets inside, he's greeted by these people that have been lying in wait for him. Or they have his wife hostage, and now they have a bargaining chip, and he's got to do what they say. Right. Now, as as we know, Captain, um, while we're on the details of what was found, what is known, and what is not known, as we know, it is typical in a death investigation for police to serve production orders or search orders signed by a judge or justice of the peace um, for cell phones and to cell phone companies or to banks to obtain records showing a person's whereabouts and so forth. Mm -hmm. Now, if permission is given by the executor of this in which I've heard that the banks have come forward and the cell phone companies have come forward in this case and said, you do not need to submit um, search warrants. We've worked, we're working with the family. Any information that the police need, we will provide to you. 
So don't delay yourself with with seeking search warrants or serve uh, production orders. Right. What is weird here, though, is I couldn't find anywhere that indicated whether the couple's cell phones were recovered from the crime scene. And just a quick reminder, we have four episodes now, Captain, of our new show, Off the Record, which is available on Stitcher Premium. Mm -hmm. In those episodes, we go through some more coverage and some more thoughts on the Amy Mihaljevic case from the Northeast Ohio area. And I believe next week's episode is going to be parts of uh, the live event we did talking about some new stuff in the Brian Schaefer case. So if you're not... Uh, subscribe to that. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash truecrimegarage and use our promo code GARAGE. Until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today.